The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, welcome. If you're here for the first time, my name is Matt. So glad that you're here. Honored that you spent a little bit of time with us this morning. And so every single Sunday, we open up the scriptures together. If you happen to bring a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Luke chapter 6 is our text today. Luke chapter 6 is our text today. We're only going to get through two verses. I'm going to cut the sermon off halfway through my message today. And we're going to finish it next week. And I'm really, really excited about it. And so if you happen to bring a Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on, turn it to... Luke chapter 6. If you didn't bring one, we'd love to give you one after the service at the Connect table. We're going to also put the words on the screen. Let me pray for our time together. Can we pray together? It's church. Can we pray together? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. God, we love you. Grateful for the privilege, the opportunity, the honor to be here this morning to gather under one name, the name of Jesus today. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for these people specifically. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. God, you've called us to a great mission Oh, you've called us to a great mission, Lord. And God, I pray that you speak to us about that mission today. In Jesus' name, everybody in the Colony Theater said amen and amen. Well, this is the eighth week, and I thought we were going to land the plane today, but we're going to land it next week. I wrote 15 pages of notes that I can't preach it all in one sermon, so we're going to finish it up next week, but I'm excited about it. And so up until this point in this series, we've called Unusual Suspects. We really have been looking at the types of people who Jesus is calling who Jesus came to earth to save and to serve, and really who's been attracted to Jesus and who's been repelled by Jesus. And so if you've been here at all throughout this series, I just want to roll the tape back and remind us of all of these people that Jesus has encountered. If you remember, we started this series, and Jesus was preaching in the synagogues. Particularly, he was preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. When he preached there, the scripture says he was literally driven out of the town to the edge of the cliff. They were so mad at Jesus, the religious leaders were. And then he moved on, and then he was preaching in another synagogue in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, there was the opposite reaction. The people loved him. The people were amazed at his teaching. And there was a bit of uh, confusion about how, how this man is preaching so powerfully. And then the story moves on in this series, and, and Jesus is healing people. He's healing the sick. He's driving demons out of demon-possessed men. He's healing a man with leprosy. Then we see he's healing a man who's a paralytic. And then the story goes on and Jesus calls four ordinary fishermen to come and and follow him. And then he, he calls a tax collector to come and follow him and be his disciple. And then last week we were in Luke chapter six, verses one through six. And Jesus has encountered the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are extraordinarily repelled by Jesus. They're repelled by him because his disciples don't look like their disciples. And so we have this moment here in the scriptures in Luke chapter 6 where we see literally hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people that are, that are already following Jesus. They could call themselves disciples. There's all these people that are following Jesus, but the situation has come to a head here in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The situation that Jesus has brought forth as he's come to earth, as he's preached his message, as he's healed people, as people have been attracted to him, as people have been repelled by him, the situation has come to a head. And there are people who really cannot stand Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 11. It's not in our text today, but it, it, uh, it, it juxtaposes against our verses today. And this is what happened in Luke 6, 11. But they themselves, meaning the Pharisees, were filled with rage. And they discussed what they might do 
to Jesus. The moment has come to a head. This is a crucial moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's a crucial moment in the life of Jesus. Jesus very clearly knows what's about to happen. He's known from the beginning what's going to happen, and what's going to happen is the religious leaders are going to stir up so much trouble that Jesus is going to be brutally murdered. And so there's all this hostility that's growing, and it's rising against Jesus. And so what's about to happen in these verses here today? It just totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. Jesus is about to leave earth. He's got about two years, but he knows the end is coming. He's known from the beginning the end is going to come. He knows people are going to hate him, but he also knows in less than two years, he's going to have a sentence of death. So the question of the day here in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12 is, how is the message going to live on? Who is Jesus going to entrust everything that he's done? Who is Jesus going to entrust everything that he has said to? Who's he going to give it to? Who's he going to empower to continue to take the message? And so what we're going to see here is that Jesus is going to choose 12 men who are going to carry his message on after he leaves the world. Jesus is going to live with these men. He's, he's, going, to, he's going to be a living example to the men. They're going to see what he says. They're going to see what he does. Jesus is going to train them up to do their ministries. And then when Jesus leaves, Jesus is going to release them to do what the book of Acts says, and that is turn the world upside down. So here in these four verses, what we're going to see is, is how God is going to choose people to use. And then we're going to see what God calls people to. And then next week, what we're going to see, we're, we're, we're literally going to see the 12 people that God called to himself. And what I think we're going to see today and next week is that God uses and God calls very unusual men and women to be used in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. This is what the scripture says. We only got two verses, but let's begin. Luke 6, verse 12, and the scripture begins, one of those days. Now, let's stop there for a moment. One of the, by the way, uh, if you've been around here for a while, I hope you've picked up on the fact that we, we love the scriptures. We love the scriptures here at Story City Church. And one of the reasons why we preach the way we do is because, in a way, it sort of helps train you how to study the Bible. And so... I'm going to pause here in the first few words, and let's, let's explain what's happening here. One of those days. What days? What days? What days are happening here? Well, the days that are happening here are the days where there's this escalating um, hostility and even violence towards Jesus by the religious leaders of the day. So what's happening here in verse 12, in this day, comes on the heels of Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders of the day cannot stand it. And that comes on the heels of Jesus' disciples eating on the Sabbath in a way that was not approved by the Pharisees. And so we've got these multiple rising, escalating, hostile moments against Jesus. And what's happening is the Pharisees are, are, are on the brink of a psychotic rage to rid the world of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has exposed the futility of their religion. 
Jesus has exposed the falsehood. He's exposed the deception. He's exposed the corruption of their, live, uh, of their religion. And the Pharisees are bloodthirsty. They're, they're, they're in a psychotic rage. They're at a boiling point. And now the Pharisees are scheming to try to figure out how can we make Jesus disappear? before Jesus' influence rises to a, an occasion where we can't handle and manage and our influence decays where nobody even pays attention to us. I believe in this moment, in this day, Jesus knows my time is not far off. I know I don't have a whole lot of days left. He's only got a limited amount of time to train up men and women who are gonna establish his work in the world. So get this. So the religious people are scheming and trying to figure out how can we rid the world of Jesus. But God is coming up with a plan to fill the world with Jesus. The religious people are trying to figure out how can we rid the world of Jesus. God is coming up with a plan. How can we fill the world with Jesus? Do you know that's still going on today? God is still filling the world with Jesus. Humanity is still playing our part to rid the world of Jesus. In May of this year, the U.S. House of Representatives swiped, so help me God, from the oath that's taken in House committee meetings. You know, the world is still trying to rid the world of Jesus. In 2013, Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss, who are the world's most famous, most influential atheists, some of the loudest voices for there being no God in our world, they filmed the documentary, and the documentary was called The Unbelievers. And so the documentary goes on, and they discuss their strategy to try to rid the world of religion in, in general and then Christianity in particular. And so in, in the documentary, they said, we consider Christianity demeaning, and we wish to redesign society the way we want it. Now, these are not just, just ordinary Joes in their parents' basement with a blog. These are leading voices in the world, leading atheist voices in the world. And so the documentary goes on to show them discussing the first time they ever met. They had a heated argument. And they said the reason for the heated argument was whether we should have a kind of full-on attack on religion or whether we should, as Lawrence preferred, seduce them. And so this, these, these beginnings of the world trying to rid the world of Jesus continue today. But let me say to you this morning, church, in this passage, Jesus is initiating something the world cannot stop. Jesus is initiating something that the world cannot stop. He's going to take 12 men, a handful of men and women, and he's going to fill the world with himself. Can I say to you this morning, God's plans and his promises cannot be stopped. God's plans and his promises to fill the world will never be stopped. They cannot be stopped. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
And now after all of these verses, we have this glimpse into eternity in the book of Revelation that was actually written by one of Jesus' apostles, one of his disciples. He's going to call to be an apostle here in Luke chapter 6. And this is what he saw. After this, John said, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from, get this, every nation, from all tribes, from every people, from every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Listen, God, through Jesus, is initiating a mission That cannot be stopped here in Luke chapter 6. The mission still cannot be stopped today. When the world is rolled up and the end has come, every single language group in the world, every single tribe in the world, every single country in the world will have a record of Jesus and they will be represented around the throne of God. And Jesus is initiating that mission today. That's the mission that he's calling men and women to here in Luke chapter 6. It's the mission he's gathering people to in Luke chapter 6. But listen to me, church. It's the mission he's calling us to today as well. He's calling us to the exact same mission. Now, I want you to see how Jesus approaches. Look how Jesus approaches this world-changing moment in verse 12. Those were the days, by the way. One of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to do what? To pray. That wasn't rhetorical. What did he go out to do? He went out to a mountainside to pray. And then the last half of verse 12 says, and he spent the night praying to God. Prayer was important to Jesus. Don't you agree? Prayer should be important to us. Don't you agree? In the crucial moments of life, when key decisions are happening in crucial events, we see something important happening in those moments after Jesus has spent time praying. And that's what's happening here. Jesus spends the night praying. <laughs> Jesus spends the night praying. Jesus spends the night praying. Listen to me. This is how Jesus is dealing with rising opposition in his life. This is how Jesus is dealing with the crucial moments of life. What is it that Jesus can't do with prayer that I think I can do without prayer? What is it? What is it that Jesus can't do with prayer that I think I can do without prayer? Think about all the all the stressful moments in your life, all the crucial moments, all the, all the key decisions in your life, all the, all the maddening days of your life. I've never come close to praying all night. I've never come close to praying all night. I've prayed for several hours. I've never prayed all night. And I'm not sure that's what Jesus is saying here, but I wonder if the implication to us is do we even come to God in prayer at all in these similar crucial moments in our life? And so Jesus is about to choose 12 people. And these people are going to lead a a world-changing movement. And how does Jesus do it? He does it in the context of humility. He does it in the context of prayer. He does it in the context of seeking guidance. When we read the rest of the pages in the New Testament, after Jesus has gone to heaven, we see the early church mimics the exact same pattern. 
in moments of key decisions, the early church goes to God in prayer. We see it in Acts chapter 1. We see it in Acts chapter 6. We see it in Acts chapter 13. We see it in Acts chapter 14. We see it in 1 Timothy 4. We see it in 2 Timothy 1. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 2. This key moment in the life of the early church while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the scripture says. Then the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Now look at verse 3. Then after fasting and what? Praying. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. You know, we do the same today. We, we do the exact same today. Church, there's wisdom and there's promise in bringing our needs before God. Now, we don't know everything that Jesus is praying here in Luke chapter 6. We don't know everything. I mean, if you consider all night, all night meaning about 8 a.m. to 5 to 6, I mean, 8 p.m. to 5 or 6, that's a long time to pray. We don't know everything that Jesus is praying here, but certainly we, we have to believe that part of what he's praying here is about who should he choose and who should he pick to be his disciples. And I'm confident that there's one thing certain about what he's praying here. Jesus is not concerned about picking the people who seem to be the most effective. I'm confident of that. Jesus, in this all-night prayer gathering, he's not concerned with people and picking people who he thinks are going to be the most effective. I believe Jesus is praying and he's trying to discern God's heart and he's concerned about picking people, listen, whom God had chosen. You understand what I mean there? There's, there's a significant difference. Because our pattern typically in the modern church and our own personal lives is we will move forward and then we'll pray, God, can you catch up with us and bless us in what we've done? The model here from Jesus is to say, God, I'm not concerned with doing it the way the world wants me to do it. I want to do it the way you have ordained it to be done. How do we know that? John chapter 17, God had a choice in whom was going to be picked. How do we know? John 17, Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they kept your word. These are the men that Jesus is after. These are the people that Jesus is still after today. Think about it. When we think in terms of, just think for a moment, if you're leading this movement that you believe is going to be so momentous and so world-changing that every language group, every tribe, and every nation will be affected by this movement before the world ends, if you're going to select leaders to lead that movement, who are you choosing? You're choosing presidents and you're choosing CEOs of world banks. You're choosing people with the most influence. You're choosing people who are the most persuasive. You're choosing people who are the best speakers. You're choosing people that you believe can get the job done. None of those are God's criteria. None of those are God's criteria. God doesn't choose the most obvious God chooses whom he wants to use. God chooses whom he wants to use. And Jesus is in an all-night prayer meeting, and he's simply trying to find out who those people are, God. Who are those people? And so Jesus prays all night. And when he comes out of the prayer meeting, Jesus has clarity, whom he's going to select, who he's going to train, 
to lead this world-changing movement, who he's going to put in leadership. These are the men he's about to ask to walk into a firefight on his behalf. And when he leaves the prayer meeting, Jesus has clarity. That's the kind of clarity we need. That's the kind of clarity we need. That's also the kind of prayer life we need to pursue. And so Jesus has clarity. He's got conviction. And he steps out of this prayer meeting. And he calls all of his disciples together. Calls all of his disciples together. And in verse 13, we're going to find out what these men would be selected for. Now read verse 13 with me. When morning came, when morning came, he called his disciples to him. And he chose 12 of them, whom he designated, here's the word, apostles. So we see all of this rising opposition that's happening in Jesus' life. People are attracted to Jesus. People are repelled by Jesus. And in light of even all of the opposition that's surrounding Jesus, there are, there are people who are following Jesus. Hundreds possibly, maybe even thousands of people who are following Jesus. What we know is that there's more than 12. Why? Because he called all of his disciples together and it says he chose 12. He calls all of them together. The word disciple implies this idea of a student. But the people who are with Jesus in this moment, they're not just learning from Jesus. These are people who have consciously left everything and they're following Jesus. They're watching what he does. They're hearing what he teaches. And out of these disciples, Jesus is going to choose 12. Why 12? Why would he just choose 12? Well, Jesus is ushering in something new. And so these 12 apostles tell us that the church is the new Israel. These 12 apostles tell us the church is the new Israel. Israel had 12 tribes. If you remember, if you know your Old Testament, had 12 tribes from the 12 sons of Jacob. The church now is now the steward of God's message and his promise. It began with these 12 apostles, and it continues with us today. So Jesus takes 12. And he makes them apostles. The word apostles, we see it 80 times in the New Testament. The essence of what apostle means is that there is one who is sent out, this is important, with an authoritative message. There's one who is sent out with an authoritative message. Essentially, these people who are chosen become the authoritative voice regarding the person and the work of Jesus. They are the authoritative voice of the person and the work of Jesus. Later on in the book of Acts, they had to choose, they chose uh, several other apostles as well. And, and one of the criteria was that they had to be eyewitnesses to Jesus. They had to be with Jesus. And so these apostles are the authoritative voice. They're trained by Jesus and they're given his authority to lead the work that he's going to give them to do in establishing the church. And so Jesus is going to be executed in less than two years. Jesus is leaving the world in less than two years. And these are the ones who would be the eyewitnesses and the authority as to what Jesus taught. Think about this for a moment. Think about it for a moment. Think about when Jesus leaves. He's been on earth, an extraordinarily controversial man. We've seen it here in our eight weeks in this series. People are attracted to Jesus. People are repelled by Jesus. People, people either extremely love Jesus or they extremely hate Jesus. Now think about what happens after he leaves. Think of all the discrepancies about what he said are going to take place. 
Think about all the distortions of the message that he has preached that are going to take place. And so these 12 men would be the ones who would sort out all of the discrepancies when Jesus is gone. They're the certified messengers of the gospel. They're the certified messengers of the gospel. They're the ones with the final authority and they end all debates on regarding who Jesus was. They're the final authority and they end all debates on what Jesus did and taught. That's why when we read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we see things like this. The church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These men were very important. That's why we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the early disciples, the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So then we move over to the book of Mark chapter 3, which is the parallel passage to Luke 6 here. In Mark chapter 3, Mark's going to tell us what Jesus is training these men to do. Mark 3.14 says, He appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to do what? To preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus has this training process. Jesus has a training process. People are going to be taught what are they going to be taught, Pastor Matt? Well, you got to come back in November. We start a new series. We're going to find out what Jesus taught these disciples. Starts in November. Don't be here. I mean, uh, be here. Wait. <laughs> Don't miss it. Thank you. Don't miss it. So Jesus has this training process. They're going to be taught, and you're going to find out what that is in, in November. We've got a four-week series to cover what Jesus taught these apostles. We're going to find it here in the later half of verse uh, chapter 6 and then in the verse uh, chapter 7. And then after they're taught, Jesus is going to send them out. Now, here's the thing. We're in Luke 6. These apostles are not going to be sent out until Luke chapter 9. And then in the next chapter, Luke chapter 10, Jesus is also going to send out other disciples. He calls the 70 in Luke chapter 10. What were they sent out to do? What were they sent out to do? Well, they had two primary functions. The first function is this. These apostles had the function to preach, to herald, to announce the kingdom of God. That was their first function. To preach, to herald, to announce the kingdom of God. So what is this message? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, as you go, he's telling them, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so Jesus is training these apostles to tell the same story, listen church, that he's given us to tell today. What is that message? The message is that God has come near. The message is that God has come near. He's made a way for man to be made right with God. He's made a way for man to live in relationship with the creator God of the universe. He's forgiven our sins through the cross of Christ. He's established a new and better way to live. That's the message that Jesus is training his apostles to teach and to preach and to herald and to announce. Listen to me, church. That's the same message. That untold, who even knows but God alone. The same exact message that literally millions upon millions upon millions in the last 2,000 years have listened to and their life has been transformed by. The message has not changed. And the message is rooted in Jesus. What he did, his work on the cross, 
And God is still making the same offer today. Their first responsibility and function was to preach to Herald to announce the kingdom of God. But their second function was similar to it, but it was to authenticate the kingdom of God. What do you mean by that? Matthew 10.1 then says, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive out, to heal every disease and sickness. Very specifically in Matthew 10.8, Jesus said to them, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and drive out demons. Now listen to me. Listen to me, because there's a massive confusion about this today. <laughs> the apostles are now announcing a new message. They're announcing a new message that the Messiah has come. The kingdom of God is now at hand. Well, that's a new message, by the way, because for centuries, the message was the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is on the way. The apostles are now showing up and they're saying, the Messiah is now here. The kingdom has now come. The one you have been waiting on for centuries is in your presence. Now think about this. We haven't got here yet, but we will next week. And I'm so excited about it. You have these ordinary, uneducated, unusual Joes who show up and preach a new message. The message, by the way, that the people of God have been waiting on for centuries. And now, these fishermen, these men who didn't even make the, 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 the cuts, this recovering tax collector, this, this, this closet terrorist, this, this, even this traitor, these unusual suspects show up and they're now saying the kingdom has come. The Messiah is here. Now you can understand what Jesus is thinking. God knows that message is not going to be received well unless there's a way to authenticate what they are saying. The essence of what they're supposed to do is to announce and to authenticate the kingdom of God. How do they authenticate? Well, God gives them the authority and the power to perform miracles, to heal the sick, to drive out the demons, to cleanse those with skin diseases, to raise the dead. The miracles that the apostles uh, 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 committed, the, the miracles that the apostles were a part of were the authenticating of Jesus' message to the world. The authenticating message to the world today, what is it, Pastor Matt? Miracles? I don't know, maybe. I believe in parts of the world where Jesus is still yet to be announced. God still may be using those. But church, don't confuse the miraculous for the ordinary that God uses today. The authenticating message of the gospel today is a transformed life. It's your life. Living proof of a living God. You're the authenticating message of the gospel today. You authenticate everything Jesus said and everything he did. And so he sends out these apostles. And he says, preach the message. Authenticate the message. But before you go, let me tell you, this is not an unusual mission. It's not, it's not a usual mission. Let me tell you, when you go out, you're going to be in physical danger. You're going to be in physical danger. Jesus tells him, you're going to be like sheep among wolves. 
You understand that every apostle either died or was martyred in the service of Jesus, including Judas Iscariot. Every apostle died or was martyred in the service of Jesus. When you go out, you're going to be in physical danger. They're going to hand you over to the Sanhedrin. They are going to beat you. Some of you are going to lose your life because of the message. You're going to be in physical danger, but you're also going to be in emotional danger. You're going to be in emotional danger. Jesus tells him in Matthew 10, 22, you're going to be hated. Listen to what he says, by everyone because of my name. And then finally, Jesus said, you're going to be in physical danger, emotional danger. And get this, worst of all, those who are around you, those who say they love you, they're going to abandon you. They're going to abandon you. Matthew 10, 21, brother will betray brother, father, his child, children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. Who signs up for this? Who puts their yes on the table for this assignment? It's not a small job. It's not a small responsibility. Jesus is about to entrust these men with more power than any human should have. He's about to entrust them with his reputation. He's about to entrust them with his message. He's about to entrust them with great danger to them Selves. Church, this is a monumental moment in the history of the world happening in Luke chapter 6. This is a monumental moment, and I would imagine you want to get this selection of men right. Right? You don't want ordinary, unusual, uneducated, unimportant nobody's chosen to spend time with Jesus when this kind of stuff is on the line. So Jesus spends all night praying, all night seeking the heart of the Father, praying about who he should select. In church, when we see and understand the list, it's dumbfounding. It's encouraging, yet dumbfounding. No great athletes, no powerful politicians, no successful businessmen and women, no decorated soldiers, no charismatic religious leaders, no famous celebrities. Instead, Jesus chooses a handful of country boys from Galilee. A few fishermen, recovering tax collector, closet terrorist, hypocritical traitor. Honestly, not another person in the world would have chosen this list. No one would have chosen this list. But these are the men that God's about to entrust authority and power to announce and authenticate the message about who he is and what he's about. And today, we stand on the shoulders of those men and women with the same message and the same authenticating power that there is a living God and He loves the world. And by the way, He uses unusual, ordinary, unimportant nobodies like me and you. What could God still do in 2019 with people like that?
with a message that transforms people's life, with the authenticating power that your life has been transformed. What could he do? I believe he's still in the miracle business. I believe the message that God initiated in Luke chapter 6 is a mission that the world cannot stop. And church, the world will not stop in Los Angeles at Story City Church. I believe he wants to use you and us for such a time as this. Let me pray together. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Sing one more song and we'll be done. Lord, thank you for today. God, you you just take unusual suspects, unusual, ordinary, unimportant nobodies and establish something the world cannot stop. God, I pray, would you take us as well? Establish your mission in this city. Let it go forth. Convince us, every one of us, from the eight-year-old missionary at a public school here in Burbank to the senior citizen who's in the last quarter of life. God, you can take us. We believe you can use us and you want to use us. And God, we ask you to use us. Our yes is on the table. We thank you for Jesus today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're about to walk into a time of communion here. Communion is a moment where we remember body and the blood that was shed for us on the cross of Jesus. It's a moment we remember what Christ has done for us. And so this is a moment that's really reserved in every church around the world for those who have confessed their life to Jesus, trusted in him for salvation. We don't, we're not trying to exclude you today, but we are, are, are ascribing and prescribing to scripture today. And so this is a moment for you, if you trusted your life to Jesus, to come down front, my right, your left. There's also a gluten-free table at the top to take the bread, reminds us of the body that was broken for us, dip it in the, in the juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed for us. It's the message of the gospel. It's a moment we have to remember today what Christ has done for us. Lord, as we take the elements this morning, God, I pray that we will remember the body and the blood of Jesus. By your body and blood alone, Jesus, we have the authority to stand here. We remember you this morning, the sacrifice that you gave for us, Jesus, by which we could have a transformed life. In Jesus' name we pray.